I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Joel. We will complete our series this morning, walking through the book of Joel verse by verse. The series title was Return to the Lord, and this morning's message is Judgment and Presence as we finish out this important book. And as we do that, I want you to know this is my absolute favorite time of the year. It's not because it's pumpkin spice latte time, though I must confess I did have one this past week, but it is the beginning of college football season. Can I get an amen, church? My fellow Georgia fan was here at the first service this morning, and we, uh, we enjoyed a little bit of fist bumping as we came in this morning, and so, uh, but here's the thing. Have you ever found yourself knowing that a game is coming up, but you have a scheduling conflict and you need to record the game and come back afterwards and watch the game? It's not an option not to watch the game, right? You got to watch the game, but you're going to record it ahead of time. And wherever you're going, whether it's a church event or it's a birthday party or whatever it may be, you communicate with everyone that's there what message don't tell me anything about the game. I don't want to hear the score. I don't want to know anything about what's taking place. Have you ever had that friend that told you anyway? They break the news to you that your team is losing, or maybe they let you know that your team is winning. Or maybe you are over with the game and your team has already won and they just happen to slip the score. It just comes out. Do you still watch the game? Of course you do, right? You watch the game because if you know your team's won, it's an easy road watching that game. It doesn't matter what happens in the game. The other team scores a touchdown. Who cares? We won. Your star quarterback goes out with a blown ACL. You feel bad for him, but doesn't matter. Why? Because we won, right? Now, let me ask you this. What if we, as followers of Jesus, took that same approach to our daily lives? See, one of the good things that we know is that in the end, we win. Jesus Christ, our Savior, who has conquered death, hell, and the grave, is coming back to this earth to set up His kingdom, and we as believers get to participate with Him in that. We get to enjoy walking this road of life knowing that we serve a victorious Savior, and if we approach life that way, it will change how we live. And this morning, as we look at Judges chapter, at Joel chapter 3, that's what we're going to see play out. We're going to see Joel pull the curtain back once again to what the end is going to look like, to what happens when it's all said and done, to what happens when Christ sets up his rule and his reign. And my hope and my prayer for us as a church family, as believers who gather together, is that that would cause us to live our lives differently than we would live them if we don't know how it ends. So as we work through the text this morning, my prayer, my hope, 
is that we would walk away encouraged, that we would walk away resting in the victory that Christ has secured for us. I want to read the text for us, and as we do every single week, we'll walk back through it together and see how we can take this truth and apply it to our lives. This is what Joel says, beginning in chapter 3, verse 1. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage, Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land and have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and have sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you were paying me back, I will return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures into your temple. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters His voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water. And a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness for the violence done to the people of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged for the Lord dwells in Zion. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes, that we would be able to see 
that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. As we look at the text this morning, I want to remind you of where we are in the book of Joel. We have covered the first two chapters over the last three weeks together. In chapter 1, we saw that the Lord had sent judgment against His own people. We saw that they had turned their back on the Lord, and the Lord said, okay, I'm going to discipline you as my people. I'm going to send locusts that are going to wipe out every crop, that's going to wipe out the fields, that's going to wipe out the grass that you're farm animals are eating. It's going to wipe everything out. But if you will turn back to me, the Lord says, I will once again bless you. I will once again wrap my arms around you. I will enjoy with you once again a right relationship with me. We saw that the people at that point in time in chapter 2 chose not to do that. In fact, they said, no, we're not really interested in that, Lord. We're going to continue on our own path, continue walking away from you. And the Lord says, okay, let me ratchet up this discipline a bit. Parents, in the same way that we do with our kids, when they're not paying attention, one little bit doesn't help, we bring the hammer down, right? And the Lord says to his people, I'm getting ready to bring the hammer down. I'm going to send in an invading army from the north that's going to take a scorched earth mentality against you and going to bring my judgment against you as a people But if you'll turn back to me, then I'll turn to you. I will forgive you of your sin. I will enjoy once again a relationship with you and bless you as a result of your obedience and walking with me. And then the second part of chapter 2, we saw that God's people do that. That they turn back to the Lord. And the Lord welcomes them with open arms, enjoys once again the relationship with them that they so desperately desire and that he desires with them. We've talked as we've walked through this of what it looks like for us as God's people to be in sin, but to turn back to him, to enjoy what it means to walk in obedience to him and relationship with him, the blessing that comes as a result of that. But there's been breadcrumbs that Joel has dropped throughout the text to point us to God's ultimate day of judgment. So we've seen a glimpse of God at work in his people's lives, a glimpse of what God's going to do. But Joel has peeled back the curtain here in chapter 3, and he's going to show us the end of the story. He's going to give us what this is all heading towards, how the Lord in his wisdom and in his mercy is going to bring all things to a close. And he's going to do that when his son, Jesus Christ, returns to this earth and sets up his kingdom here. All those who have opposed the Lord will experience judgment. All those who are in Christ will experience the blessing of God's presence for all eternity. And here, what Joel is going to do for us is show us what that's going to look like when that day comes. So this morning, as we walk through the text, I want you to keep this main idea in mind as we do this. And it's this truth, as believers, we should live with the end in mind. If you've ever read a leadership book or taken a leadership course, you've heard that phrase before. Live with the end in mind. But how much more so for us as believers who know how this story is going to end, how much more so for us should we live our lives with the end in mind. 
What does that end look like? How is it going to play out? I want you to notice that we're going to see, beginning in verses 1 through 8, this truth that as followers of Jesus, we can take comfort that God's point of view is unhindered. Kids, if you want to follow along in your handouts there, you can just simply draw a picture of an eye. There is absolutely nothing that escapes God's point of view. Now, I want you to notice how this plays out here. Notice beginning in verse 1, he says, For behold, in those days, that is, when the time comes for Christ to return, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations. And as he is detailing this out, it is the nations that have risen up against the Lord. This is describing unbelievers, those who Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 tells us are enemies of God, who have chosen to pursue their own desires of the flesh, who are not children of the Lord. This is the description of them. I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, that valley there that's described if you fast forward in revelation 20 and 21 is what we would consider the battle of armageddon there when all of this takes place and he says here i will enter into judgment with them there i want you to notice that as the lord is describing here what he is going to do when that day of the lord comes he is functioning in two roles as he's going to detail for us here He is going to function as the perfect and righteous judge who has all authority to exercise judgment. He's going to function in that capacity, but I also want you to notice he's going to describe here that he is going to also function as the expert witness. And as we saw just a second ago, God's vision is always perfect. There is nothing that happens under the sun that the Lord has not seen. God sees it all. So as we think about even right now, as we are sitting and worshiping the Lord through his word in this building, we've talked already about brothers and sisters in Afghanistan right now who have lost their very lives as a result of gathering to worship Jesus Christ as Savior. And we look around us and we wonder, does God see that? Does God know that that's taking place? Maybe you've experienced some type of tragedy in your life and you've wondered, does God know? Does he see that? Is he paying attention? Does he know what's happening? I want you to be encouraged this morning as a follower of Jesus, there is absolutely nothing that escapes God's vision. There is absolutely no atrocity that's been committed since history began that the Lord Jesus does not see and that he does not promise that he will exercise judgment against. For you and for I as believers who are in Christ, that should encourage us. In fact, we ought to watch the news a little bit differently. We ought to read Twitter just a little bit differently. We ought to read, well, you just don't need to be on Facebook, right? But I want you to hear me this morning. As we are gathering here today, we have a God who sees. Notice how he describes this here. I will enter into judgment, the second part of verse 2, with them there on behalf of of my people, my heritage, Israel. And he's going to outline for us several ways, several 
steps that the enemies of God have sought to do damage to God's plan and God's purpose. He says first, because they have scattered them among the nations. He looks and he says that those who are enemies of God, in fact, have absolutely zero concern for God's people. They don't care. They're not worried about God's people. They don't recognize that every single person is created in the image of God and bears his image. In fact, they have no care for that. He says also they have divided up my land. In fact, not only do they have no concern for the people of God, they've got no concern for the promises of God either. In fact, God had promised his people that he would lay out a land for them to inhabit and to enjoy, that he would bless them as they walk in relationship with him. And in fact, what we see is the enemies of God have done everything they can to thwart God's promise and God's plan. He says in verse 3, they've cast lots for my people. In fact, they care so very little for God's people that they just simply view them as property to be exchanged for whatever they want. What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon? Verse 4, and all the regions of Philistia. Notice the question the Lord asked in verse 4. Are you paying me back for something? The Lord says, are you trying to get me back? I mean, is that, is that what this is all about? This hostility towards my people, do you think this is going to work? And the Lord says, I will return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily, for you have taken my silver, my gold, and carried my rich treasures into your temple. He again offers this indictment in verse 5, that they've got no concern with the proper worship of the Lord. In fact, they have taken the instruments that were used to worship the Lord, and they've carried them back to their own temples and recast them in a way to worship false gods. And the Lord says... I have that against you. He says, you've sold the people of Judah, verse 6, and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hands of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. The righteous judge has spoken. As we gather here this morning, what we're reminded of as followers of Jesus, if you are a Christian this morning, this is not how God describes you. In fact, this is how God describes those who have never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. In fact, they are considered, as we see in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, in fact, enemies of God. I want you to hear me this morning. If you find yourself in that place, you don't have to stay there. In fact, you have the opportunity this morning to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, to have your sins that the Lord promises He will bring judgment against, to have those sins forgiven on the basis of Jesus Christ having taken the judgment against your sin that you deserve. I want you to hear me this morning, followers of Jesus, this doesn't describe you. That's good news this morning. 
It's good news that the Lord, when he looks at you, doesn't look at you as a follower of Jesus and say, here's all the things I know you've done wrong. He looks at you and he sees Christ's righteousness covering you. That's how he sees you. If you're here and you don't have that righteousness covering you, know this morning that the Lord takes your sin against him seriously. I want you to recognize the beginning in verse 9 and walking through verse 16. Not only do we see that as followers of Jesus, we can take comfort that God's point of view is unhindered, but we can also take courage that God's power is unrivaled. Kids, if you want to draw a picture to remind you of this truth, it's simply the picture of someone flexing a muscle. I want you to know this morning that God's power is unrivaled. Notice beginning in verse 9 how he responds to his enemies here. He says, proclaim this among the nations. The nations there demonstrating, giving evidence to that these are people who are opposed to God, who've never trusted Jesus as their Savior. He says to them, consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Verse 10, how serious is the Lord in this scenario as He is calling His enemies to come and to meet Him on the field of battle where His judgment will be executed. He says to them in verse 10, beat your plowshares into swords. Says your military artillery is not going to be enough. You need to grab every piece of equipment that you can and repurpose it for the battle that you are about to experience when you come and meet me. He says, turn your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak one say, I'm a warrior. He says, hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors. Verse 12, let the nations stir themselves up and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Verses 11 and 12 there remind me of Psalm 2. If you're taking notes in your Bible, you may want to just simply write that beside verses 11 and 12. What is Psalm 2? Well, Psalm 2 reminds us that the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain against the Lord and against His anointed one. I want you to notice that the second part of the psalm says, what is the Lord's response to that? God is not sitting back shaking in his boots, worried about the battle that is to come. In fact, it says the Lord sits in the heavens and laughs. Why does he laugh? Verse 13, put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in and tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. God's judgment is getting ready to be poured out. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. Verse 16, why does the Lord laugh in Psalm 2 against His enemies? He gives us the answer here in verse 16. Because the Lord roars 
from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth quake. Now get this picture in your mind, this grand battle of Armageddon that we read about in Revelation chapter 20 and 21 as we look and all of these things coming to an end where God exercises his judgment. Lest you think that this battle is going to be an actual battle, it's not. How do we know this? Because Joel tells us the Lord simply speaks. And his judgment is carried out against his enemies. The Lord Jesus Christ, who's described as a lamb who is led to the slaughter when he laid his life down on the cross, comes here in the end in verse 16. He's no longer the sacrificial lamb. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah who simply roars and his judgment's carried out. For the unbeliever, for the person who's never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, this should terrify you. You will not stand in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will hit your knees before Him. And you will confess that He is Lord, even though you will not enjoy the fruit of that confession, because it will be done in judgment. If there's a time right now where you've wondered, should I turn from my sin and turn to Jesus Christ, can I encourage you, let this verse be the catalyst to encourage you to take that step. But believer, follower of Jesus, I want to remind you this morning, we serve a Savior who is victorious. We serve a Savior who is not worried about how things are going to end because He is driving the ship. He is going to bring all things to completion. He is going to reign for all eternity. His enemies who are trying to stand against Him have no basis with which to stand. He will simply speak and they will find their judgment for all eternity. How is He able to do that? Because he's the same one who spoke all of creation into existence. Who spoke to the sun and said, that's where you need to go. Who spoke to the stars and named them and put them in the galaxies that are spread throughout the known solar system at this point in time. And here's the funny thing. He's got stars we don't even know about. Why did he do that? Because he could. With his very word, he simply speaks and it happens Believer, let me remind you this morning that it is the very word of God that rose Jesus Christ from the grave. Simply a word. We serve a Savior who is victorious, one that we will experience the joy of victory with for all eternity. Now you look at that and you say, how do I live in that? I believe that's what God desires for us, to recognize and understand, regardless of what may transpire in your life or in this nation or around the world that may put us on the uh, 
defensive, may cause us to to shrink back a little bit and wonder, what's God up to? How's he going to bring this all to completion? May these verses remind us that we have a God whose power is unrivaled. That's our Savior. That's who we worship. And not only that, the latter part of verse 16 reminds us that as followers of Jesus, we can take heart that God's presence is unending. Kids, if you want to draw a picture, you simply draw a picture of a heart this morning to recognize that when Christ lives within us, the promise for us as fellow believers is that His presence will never leave us. He says here, the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion. My holy mountain in Jerusalem shall be holy and strangers shall never again pass through it. In that day, the mountains will drip sweet wine. The hills will flow with milk. The stream beds of Judah will flow with water. A fountain will come forth from the house of the Lord. Everything else will become a desolation, will become a wilderness. But Judah shall be inhabited forever in Jerusalem to all generations. I want to encourage you this morning, follower of Jesus, that Jesus Christ has promised to us as his followers that we will enjoy his presence for all eternity. We look here at the momentary afflictions that we experience in this life and recognize it's just but a moment on the course of eternity. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you, along with me, will experience what it means to be in Christ's presence forever. We see in Revelation 20 and 21, heaven described, and it's described in a magnificent and beautiful way with streets of gold and with gates that are made of fine jewels. And what's never described in there is someone on their knees with a pick and a hammer trying to get one of the pieces of gold out of the streets of heaven. Why? something that we would consider so precious today. Why is it not precious then? Well, it's because what's of greatest value to us as followers of Jesus is to be in His presence for all eternity. That is the promise that He makes here to His people. It's the promise that He has made to us. I want to ask you if you bow your heads with me and close your eyes this morning. It's We have an opportunity to respond to the Lord in worship. We'll sing and this morning we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together as we close out our service this morning. But as we have this opportunity to respond to the Lord and to His Word, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, maybe you are here today. And you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. In fact, as we read the description of those who stand as God's enemies because of their sin, that describes you this morning. 
I want to encourage you today that you can experience salvation through Jesus Christ. You can have your sins forgiven. You can have God's judgment against your sin not be on your head, but having already been paid by His Son Jesus this morning. Maybe for you, that's the step that you need to take. In just a minute as we sing, maybe you want to respond, come down and grab my hand or Pastor Aaron's hand this morning, or maybe you want to take a connection card and fill it out and hand it to me as you leave this morning. Just check the box that says, I need, I need to trust Jesus as my Savior. That's the step I need to take. We would love nothing more than to help you take that step. Maybe you're a believer here this morning and I want you to walk away today encouraged that because of who you are in Christ, you will experience the presence of God for all eternity. Because of who you are in Christ, you don't have to wring your hands at what's going on in the world as if God is unaware because He knows and He will execute judgment. Maybe for you this morning, that's the encouragement that you need simply to rest in the arms of a heavenly Father who has the whole world in His hands. Lord, we ask this morning that you would work in our hearts and our lives. God, that you would remind us of who we are in Christ if we are followers of Jesus this morning. Strengthen our faith, encourage us by knowing that we will dwell with you for all eternity. That the momentary afflictions of this life can't compare to what's in store for those who are in Christ. If there's one here that needs to take the step of trusting Jesus as their Savior, give them the courage today to take that step, to admit that they're a sinner, to believe that Jesus Christ paid for their sins on the cross, to confess with their mouth today before you that you desire Jesus to transform their life and to come in and make his home there. God, use this time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand, if you will, and give you an opportunity to prepare your hearts now as we get ready to take communion in just a little bit. Maybe you need to spend some time on your knees here at the altar in prayer. Maybe you need to talk with someone. Maybe you need to take the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. But I want to encourage you to respond this morning as the Lord leads.